Welcome to the American Cinematographer Podcast. Go behind the scenes with today's top filmmakers as they discuss the techniques they bring to the art of motion imaging. This podcast is sponsored by Deluxe's eFilm. eFilm has proudly supported filmmakers by providing unique artistry, innovative technology, and a full complement of post-production services for nearly three decades. Welcome to the American Cinematographer Podcast. I'm Jim Hemphill, filmmaker and frequent contributor to American Cinematographer Magazine. My guest today is Eric Steelberg, ASC, whose work you've seen in films like Quinceanera and 500 Days of Summer. He's a frequent collaborator of director Jason Reitman, with whom he partnered on Juno, Up in the Air, Young Adult, Labor Day, and Men, Women, and Children. Their latest film together, Tully, reunites Steelberg and Reitman with screenwriter Diablo Cody, who also wrote Juno and Young Adult. Cody's script for Tully focuses on Marlo, a mother and wife who is overwhelmed by the physical, mental, emotional, and financial challenges of raising her three children. When her brother gives her the gift of a night nanny, Tully, Marlo is resistant at first but ultimately bonds with the young woman and is forced to examine who she is, where she's been, and where she's going. As in their previous collaborations, Steelberg and Reitman employ a subtle but precise and beautiful approach to composition and lighting that connects the viewer directly with the protagonist's inner struggle. Rarely have I seen a film that so intimately places the viewer in the heroine's shoes, and I'm thrilled to have Eric here to talk about that and some other things relating to his work on Tully. So, obviously you and Jason Reitman have a very fruitful creative partnership. I guess I wanted to start by asking you about how you guys first met and started working together. Uh, we met when we were 15 years old. We were in high school. We had a, a, a friend in common who went to elementary school with me, who then went to high school with Jason. And... Uh, that friend of ours, who is also now a director, um, uh, introduced us because we were during one summer we were filming a, a short film at their high school, and Jason was also uh, using a classroom at that high school during the same time to do a, a, a animated movie, and uh, he ended up hanging out on our set and uh, being an actor in the, in the film and. Uh, helping out a little bit and then when Jason later on went to. Uh, do his own short films a couple years later when he was at USC he uh, asked our friend in common if uh, about me and asked if I would be willing to help him out on his short film and absolutely yes and uh, I ended up being a, an AC on his first short film uh, and um, it went from there he went to go do the reshoots on that short film then he asked me to do the reshoots because his DP was unavailable and once I did those reshoots for his first short film, we've been shooting together uh, ever since. Uh, I didn't get a chance to do his first feature. Uh, I was doing Quinceanera at the time, but um, you know we reconnected after that, and um, we've had a great success. And what do you think it is that makes the collaboration so successful or so satisfying for the two of you? I think we finish each other's uh, sentences and have a lot of similar thoughts. Um, we don't always, it's interesting, we don't always like the same movies, um, but we, when we're reading a script, we look at the material in the same way. Uh, we, we have the same ideas, we have the same uh, thoughts in terms of the way it looks, and, and more importantly, we, uh, our methods of, of working are, are very similar in the way we break something down and try to figure out how some, uh, a story should be told uh, visually, what about the camera, he knows what he likes uh, and doesn't like with lighting. Um, and I'm, I'm 
I try to be, uh, and I'm very open to his input uh, in, in terms of how something should feel. And I think uh, his, he kind of allows me to, to interpret, you know, uh, through lighting what his intentions are. He's very good at, uh, at framing composition. And so, you know, with that and then with what he's describing to me, I, he kind of lets me, uh, leaves me free to, free to light it. Um, and he kind of lets me know what he doesn't like, but generally gives me a lot of freedom there. And, um, and uh, it's, just, it's a very complimentary uh, working relationship and it's just it's it's there's an ease to it and uh, you know you're working all these days with somebody um, under these you know very stressful circumstances and I think you know an ease with somebody and, and having a lot in common with the in terms of the, the of how you think about executing something goes a long way and it there's just it just clicks you know it's it's one of those, I mean I don't really <laughs> I don't know why there's a lot, it's all good things. Uh, and there's, there's, you know, in like every relationship, there's, there's points where you're struggling. Um, even after all these years of working together, you know, sometimes we still have to work to try to figure each other out at, at times, but it's, but it's it, 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 not a negative way. It's, it's, you know, we're always trying to figure out the best solution to a problem. It's, and, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just it's one of those you know what keeps people together. I, I don't know. How has the way you communicate uh, evolved over the years, or was it was that way you have of complimenting each other? Was that there right from the start, or was it something that kind of? I think so. Yeah, I think so. Um, hmm. I'm trying. I'm trying to think if there's like any any anecdotes or examples that I could I could come up with, but. Um, I mean, look, we both grew up in L.A., you know, we had friends in common, you know, we're, we're peers, we're, uh, we, we like a lot, of this, a lot of the same movies, we were affected by some of the same movies growing up, I mean, it was all, we were, you know, children of the Star Wars, you know, Lucas Spielberg, Zemeckis, Reitman, senior, you know, generation of movies, and these are the things that kind of, you know, shaped our impression of movies, and it was only after that those kind of movies made us fall in love with cinema that we then said, Oh, look at all these other movies that's available to us. And we actually started watching other movies. Um, so we're kind of like <laughs> bad example, but hatched from the same egg, you know what I mean? Um, and so I think that's part of it, you know, um, well, it, it's, it's hard to put a pin on. Mm -hmm. you know? Well, and you mentioned, uh, the way you both, you know, sort of translate a script into visual terms. That that leads me to my first question specifically about Tully, which I know Diablo Cody, uh, she was talking with Reitman about the script before she even wrote it. And I'm curious, what point did you come into the process? Uh, did Was the script done, or when did Reitman first tell you uh, about this? He told me there was a script. He called me um, when I was uh, shooting Baywatch, and he said there's a script coming that I want to do pretty quickly. Uh, it's coming together. He's like, I'll send it to you, but this is basically what it's about, and uh, which you <laughs> actually get a, a much better example of what it's about <laughs> in your intro than I could. So I'll leave it at that. But he told me what the movie was about. You know, he said it's Diablo. Uh, he thinks Charlize is going to do it. She's on board, which was very exciting because we had such a great experience with her on Young Adult. Um, and uh, so uh, I I was surprised at, at first to hear what the 
subject matter was. I thought, okay, that's that's a little bit that's new for us and maybe a little surprising, um, but it could be interesting to do because we're both we're both fathers and what's going to be his our uh, you know take on this. You know, what's going to be the, the the male point of view on what you know the, the happens that the character goes through. And, um, and he sent me on Reddit, saw a lot of interesting opportunity there, you know, um, challenges and, uh, we went from there, you know, and we, we, and it did happen very quickly. Well, and so when you read the script in terms of your initial response, what did you see as both the opportunities of it and the challenges? Um, uh, well, a lot of it takes place in, in one location to the house, not unlike a movie we did um, years before called uh, Labor Day um, that mostly took place in a house, but this one also took place in a house, and Jason, knowing Jason, he likes to shoot in real locations, doesn't like building sets, so I knew we were going to be in a house, and because the character, it's a, she's a modest character, so it was probably going to be a small house, which isn't really, um, you know, it's not the easiest thing to shoot in, particularly with all, you know, a lot of night stuff, um, and and it's not so much just about the space or the lack of space, but when there's so much material in in a in a that in like a house, say the first floor of a house, how do you keep it, you know, different? How do you tell a story? How do you make a, a, a evolving you know visual narrative um, w- without it you know, feeling stale and repetitive? That's for me the biggest challenge. You know, how does you know, does you know what's the lighting for each room at different times of day or in different points of the movie? You know, how does it change? It's tricky. You know, and he likes to shoot. You know, why he likes to see the room? So you know, where do you practical considerations? Where are you going to hide lights? You know, how are you going to? You know, you're dealing with women, so you know, how are you going to make them? You know, look good, and how are you going to you know, do the things that you normally would want to do? Um, without, you know, space, <laughs> and and we like to move the camera. Mm-hmm. You know, not a lot or excessively, um, but, you know, we like to be able to move the camera, um, you know, for punctuation. And um, it was tricky, you know. Yeah, well, that's actually one of the things I wanted to ask you about, because I really like the jo- the stuff in the house. First of all, you do a really nice job of sort of acclimating the viewer to the house's geography. You sort of, you know where everything is in relationship to each other and all that. And uh, and you also do keep it from becoming visually static, even though there are a lot of scenes that are essentially just the same people talking in rooms. And I'm curious, uh, how do you plan all that out? I mean, with with Reitman, you know, how do you decide? Do you decide ahead of time how you're going to shoot all those scenes? And we do. We we need to have a plan when we're going into something um, as complicated as that. And when I say complicated, not from a necessarily a technical standpoint, but for the reasons I was talking about before, you know, how are you, how do we make it not stale? You know, how do we make sure we're, we're conveying the tone of the scenes? What's the blocking going to be in these spaces, entrances and exits, you know, because how they cut into where are we coming from, where are we going? Something we've been doing for a while. I think we started doing it on Labor Day. We go and we photo board um, all the scenes that we need to wrap our heads around. So what that is, is that we will go to a location um, as soon as we have it, we'll take some stand-ins or use our AD or our producer um, ourselves, and we'll take a camera and we'll shoot. We'll find the angles and we'll shoot pictures and stills uh, framed and cropped properly to um, whatever aspect ratio we're shooting. And we'll um, we'll basically, you know, storyboard with a camera the using 
Stan and, and ourselves the angles we would want to shoot the scene in. And we put those up just like storyboards on a, on a you know, foam core board on set, and we use that as our guide uh, for all these scenes. So we don't do it for every scene, but the scenes that we need to wrap our heads around, mm -hmm. you know, that are maybe extensive or have a lot of blocking or camera movement, we say, okay, here's our outline, and this is what we can use for planning purposes, lighting, whatever. And, um, and that's a huge help, and everybody gets, all the crew gets to see that because we have it on set. And uh, it's, it's very helpful. And what that allows us to do is that when we get to the set on the day, the actresses want to change something or they don't like what we've planned. You know, we, can, we have the flexibility and the freedom and the confidence to be able to, or the comfort, I should say, to be able to allow for some change, knowing that we have something to fall back on if, if whatever the new thing doesn't work. And how did you solve the problem of, as you're saying, you, know, you want the actors to look attractive, but you're in these confined... Uh, real spaces. How did you get around that? Um, so it, it's a funny thing, you know. Charlize, she she gained uh, quite a bit of weight for the role, and she she told me she, she didn't want to look too good. Mm -hmm. um, so you know, don't no beauty lighting, the, the things you normally do. Um, try to stay away from, and you know, of course it's. It's already going to be hard to do that because uh -huh. doesn't matter how much weight <laughs> Charlize uh, gains, she's always going to be striking. But uh, so that actually helped a little bit in in terms of you know the restrictions that we had through lighting and Mackenzie as well. Just amazing face, you know, just just hard to, hard to go uh, do anything bad there. Um, you know, there were there was some compromises. You know, at times, uh, you know, we needed to to do a certain kind of lighting, and and you know, Jason would say to me, he's like, yeah, it doesn't really, it's, it's looking a little off. And I'll say, well, you know, it's I'm struggling here. You know, we're seeing the whole room. But I'm running it. We just don't have space. You know, no space to hide lights or you know whatever. And um, well, what can we do? I'm like, well, if we tighten up a little bit, if we move the camera, if maybe can I move a piece of furniture? You know, so there's that back and forth. Um, that we can have with each other, Jason and I, and to try to solve problems I have. And I try not to make my problems his problems because I want him to you know, be able to have what he has. Obviously, he knows how he wants to cut it, and he knows how it should be. He's very uh, opinionated about the framing, and, and I don't want to change that unless we absolutely have to. So, um, so in the instances you're talking about, it would just be, hey, there's something we need to accomplish, and... I would talk to him and say, like, listen, I think we can still, you know, keep the intent of what you're trying to do here. I could make it look a little nicer. I could make a little, comp, you know, flattering light. Um, and flattering not just uh, cosmetically or on the actors, but maybe just aesthetically, mm -hmm. you know, um, or something that I like better for the overall scene. Uh, I could make the lighting a little bit better if we just, you know, alter the angle, move, you know, here, furniture, shoot into a different angle, you know, maybe we're not shooting into flat into a wall, we should angle the camera, things like that, so. Uh. Yeah, well, uh, another thing I really like about the movie is both in terms of the lighting and the use of color, it just has a really warm, inviting feeling to it, uh, and I was wondering, you know, what your thinking was there, what was your thinking in terms of the, the palette and the, the use of color? Uh, we stayed away from uh prime a lot of primary colors um you know it's it's home it's where we spent a lot of time we wanted 
want it to, we don't want it to feel uninviting, you know, despite what she's going through. Um, you know, it's, it's a, it's, it's a nice family home, you know, and I think that the, the visually creating some sort of a feeling of comfort without going too much into the, the movie, feel having a feeling of comfort was, I think is very important for her so that the other things that happen in the movie, um, are a little more surprising. Right. Well, that's that sort of leads. To, I'm trying to figure out how to get around a certain issue here with this movie, which is that um, you know I don't want to give anything away about the movie, but it's it's a movie where you know there's a sort of shift where you find out that maybe how you what you thought something meant isn't exactly the same. I mean, Reitman has described the experience of Tully. Uh, he said ideally it should be sort of like watching two movies at once. Uh, once you know where it's going, and I, I'm trying to think if there's a way to address. Uh, how you as a cinematographer find a visual language for that because I think you do some interesting things in the, looking back on the movie seeing where it's going you do some interesting things with light and framing to sort of subtly convey the truth of what's mm -hmm. happening and, mm -hmm. you know, if you know what I mean and yeah I don't know if there's a way to talk about <laughs> that without actually giving away I mean we, I mean I, all I can say is that um, you know I try to um, and, you know, maybe it goes without saying, and it's obvious, but it's worth mentioning. You know, I try to use the content of the scene, what's happening in the script, to, you know, highlight, underscore, play into what's, what's, what's going on, like the content of the scene. Um, it's not just about the lighting should be good in the scene or there should should be you know feel natural because there happens to be a window in this room like it always for me starts with the script and when what's happening the content of the scene so when things in the movie uh, start to change um, we try to introduce changes in framing um, you know maybe we're shooting a little closer and wider as opposed to you know further back and longer lines um, less uh, less natural light more natural light things like that you know maybe it's not the lighting's not as comfortable anymore maybe we go from kind of like low fill light to no fill light or things like that you know just subtle differences um and towards the end of the movie we start introducing some cooler cooler lighting um just to create a sense of uneasiness and going back to the script and your initial response to it uh how soon do you start thinking about all those things i mean are you the kind of person do you read the script a few times just sort of for fun or do you start thinking about lighting and shots right away or does it come to you when you're seeing the locations What's it's different that? on every script i would say the broad strokes you know on the first couple times i read it the first time i read it it's just it's just a read just i mean every time just i'm, a, I'm an audience member and then and then it's okay great this is what we're doing let me read it again and see what ideas start popping in my head and they're usually kind of broader stroke type things, you know, is this, is this a bright movie, is it a dark movie, is it grungy, is it, you know, whatever, is there a lot of nights, is it, you know, are we a lot of day exteriors, what, like what kind of, like, what's the feeling, you know? And um, I think once I start seeing locations with Jason and see what's in his head, um, because I, I learn a lot about what he's thinking by where, 
he wants to shoot. Mm -hmm. We don't have a whole lot of conversations. We talk about, we watch some movies. Uh, we talk about what we like and don't like in the movies. Um, and we start, you know, looking at location photos and still photos and photo, photo books. And, and we talk about, it's usually we're talking about other things that we like as opposed to what we want to do. And by kind of process of elimination, we arrive at, we start to arrive at a solution uh, in terms of the approach we want to want to take, and um, and we kind of just go from there. And we start seeing locations, and we uh, and, and Jason's aware of you know light and what a location can and can't do. You know, what do you think of the light in here? And he's like, I kind of like I like the feel of it right now. But can we, you know, are we going to recreate this over the course of two days and you know, things like that? And and just by listening, you know, you can like I learn a lot, and that and, and that also comes from having just known him for so long and knows um, what he likes and doesn't like. Okay. Uh, well, let's let's talk a little bit about the the camera and uh, lenses. What kind of uh, camera did you use? And we shot on Alexa minis. And what led to that? And decision? Uh, Master Primes. Uh, what led it? Well, it, um, I think it was more practical. I wanted a small camera, mm -hmm. <laughs> small camera for some of the smaller locations we were going to be in. And I'd used it on, um, been using it a lot prior to that on, um, commercials. I used it, uh, as a C camera and second unit camera a lot on Baywatch. And, um, you know, like what I liked what it could do. And, and I'm a big fan of the master primes. And I thought they were going to be a little too sharp. So what we did actually was we I did some testing. And I was trying to figure out a way to keep the sharpness with a little less contrast. We um, in some of the photo books we had been looking at, you know, there's a the trend in newer photo books where the, the 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 pages are more of a matte finish and less glossy. What happens when you look at these photos is that the black level in these photos is just not as rich as like a you know what you get on a glossy, a glossy kind of a paper. Uh, it's really great and it kind of makes everything more pastel-y. And I started thinking like, well, how can we do that with you know an image uh, like a digital image? So I played around uh, with Panavision, um, who was our vendor in Vancouver. I got the um, I remember the Panaflasher, the but the um, no, sorry, the Panaflash, the uh, Pana, Panacon, what's it, Pana, Pana Light, it's their version of the, the 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 filter in front of the camera that fogs Panaflasher two or something they were calling it. Anyway, so it's a uh, it's essentially like a low contrast filter you put in front of the lens and it has a ring of LEDs around it um, of different colors and dimmers and what you do is you fog this filter and as you fog the filter it changes the color um, starting the blacks of the image. And you play with the percentages, and, and that's kind of how you adjust it. So I shot these tests, and they, they looked great. Um, we we really responded to them. The problem with it was, every time you change the the the, the, the lighting um, ratio, or you you go from inside to outside, you've got to constantly change the settings. So sunlight, shade, and trying to find those those settings, the color balances, and, and also between the, the f stops or t stops you're shooting in, lots of LA settings, and it was really hard to keep them consistent. So while we liked it in a very controlled testing environment, it looked like it was going to be impractical 
um, or uh, you know, shooting environment. So what Jason said, he's like, listen, he goes, I really like the look, but let's see if we can maybe create a LUT that will emulate that, that we could just apply and then it works for everything equally. So that's what we did. And um, I worked with our colorist at eFilm to do that, uh, Natasha Leonette, and, um, and, and it was great. And we, we actually backed off of that, uh, that kind of flash black look a little bit, but it, it gave a nice softness to the image. And, um, and we kept, in the fun, final color timing, we, we kept a lot of it. We, had, we ended up changing our mind a little bit and going back to a little bit more normal um, of a contrast for us. Um, but so it was interesting because this, this example of using, um, trying a practic, uh, an analog treatment on a digital image and then not being able to do it for, you know, reasons, practical reasons, and then recreating it digitally, you know, kind of faking it. I don't know. I like to say faking it, but mm -hmm. emulating it digitally. And it worked uh, pretty well. Uh, well, you mentioned Natasha Leonette, who, if I'm not mistaken, also was your colorist on Juno, Up in the Air, Young Adult, and Baywatch? Yes. Okay. And uh, Labor Day. And Labor Day. And I think she's done, actually, I think she's done all the movies with, with Jason and I have done together. And I've done a couple other movies with her as well. Um, so maybe talk a little bit about that collaboration and how much work you do in the coloring, you know, in post to manipulate the image um is it a place where you like to play around a lot or i wouldn't say we play around a lot i think we uh how do i talk about this the um we always we always start at the place that we shot in camera um i keep her involved throughout the process she looks at dailies while we're shooting to get a sense of what's coming her way, what we're going for. And, and we typically start with, you know, that idea. We also often will go in and be like, oh, we thought this was the right, maybe we should, maybe we're second, and we second guess ourselves. And this happens, maybe the first day or two we're trying to find our footing and, and, and you know, now we're looking at a screen instead of a monitor and we're just trying to get used to, to seeing it on a screen. And I wouldn't say we play around, but we kind of start at, at our, we have our starting point and then we, you know, we try a couple different things. It's usually like, we're not talking big things. It's mainly like contrast and, and color, trying to find that base setting. And it takes us a little while to find that. And sometimes even after a few days, we'll go back and, you know, we, we got we to gotta change our starting point or we got to change our, the light we're working on. Uh, it's just not working. There's something off or the skin tones are weird or, you know, there's too much color in the blacks or... And then once it clicks, we're off and running. And then it's just a matter of, you know, kind of matching everything. Um, so I wouldn't say we play around a lot. And then there's, you know, but we do use some of the things available to us. You know, we use Windows and, um, you know, for creating contrast of faces or in a room or walls and things like that. But I, it's not incredibly extensive. It depends on the movie. Mm -hmm. But I seem to remember this being a relatively... Un... I'm just thinking of what she would say if she was here. <laughs> I think, you know, maybe it's a revisionist, but I think we we were were had a light touch mm -hmm. on this in post compared to some other movies we've done. Did your idea of what the movie would be and how it would look change over the course of shooting at all? I mean, did you know do these movies? I guess well, with this one specifically, I mean, does it 
does your idea of what the movie is evolve or once yeah. you've decided on it? It does yeah. a little bit. You know, you start seeing the actors, start seeing stuff cut together. You know, you start, you know, day one's always the most terrifying day because you don't know if the ideas you had. It's like the first scene. Like, oh my God, I don't, is this the right look? Is this what we should be doing? We had a good first couple of days on this. There's been times where we've shot, reshot on the first day mm-hmm. because, you know, he wasn't happy with, you know, what he did. I wasn't happy, you know, he doesn't like the way it looks or, or whatever. We just, you know, we didn't nail it. Or maybe a scene from the first day. Um, I don't, we didn't do that on this film. Um, and that's not to say we do it often, but it has happened. Um, we, we were lucky on this. We, we, we got, came up with a plan and did the plan and it, it went really well, I think. And, and, and yes, it evolved. I think I went, I ended up going a little moodier as we progressed. Um, or I took maybe some more chances with the actresses, um, you know, in terms of light and what I could get away with mm-hmm. as we went along. Um, and I saw how people were responding to it, how Jason was responding to it subtly, cause you can't just suddenly change direction, right. you know, little, little things, you know, fill light, backlight, things like color, you know, you start learning people's skin tones and how they, they react, you know, during the day at night, things like that, you know. And you know, you mentioned that you and and Reitman like to move the camera a lot, but it's it's also you know one of the things I like about the movie is the camera movement. None of it's uh, you know none of it's self conscious or or showy or anything. It's all it all feels very motivated. And I'm I'm curious what your, for lack of a better word, philosophy would be about when and how to move the camera in this movie. I mean, hopefully it's not noticeable. I mean, right. if some if we were to tell somebody hey, we move the camera a lot, they go, "Oh, really? You do?" Right. I think that would be great mm-hmm. because. You know, we're, we don't, you know, it's not obviously, you know, it's not like an action movie or something where you're trying to use it for pacing. Um, we're doing it for, like I said, it's punctuation or emotional impact or, um, you, you know, introducing a, a new location or something like that. Um, the movement of camera, we usually don't figure out until we're actually shooting. So we do the photo boards. And we sometimes we'll talk about movement, but it usually doesn't really, until we see the actors, what they're doing, it doesn't really kind of sink in or come to life until, you know, the set's dressed. Because when we're doing these photo boards, you know, it's in somebody's house, their furniture. It's just, you know, we're not, we don't have the full inspiration yet. We're not seeing the set. You know, we're in a location, we're not in the set. And once we start seeing the set, we get new ideas. Jason gets new ideas. That, that leads me to another question, which is, how closely do you work with the production designer? I mean, after Jason, I try, I think that's my, I think my three closest relationships are with Jason, the AD, and the production designer. You know, it's, and I would say the AD and the production designer are probably tied, at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what kind of conversations do you have with, actually talk about each of those relationships. And- uh, the production designer, you know, I they, it's, one of my favorite things is just being able to walk through their offices and see what they have on the walls, what their ideas are, how they're, you know, in terms of what the dressing is and the color palette, it starts to let me know what they're thinking and give me ideas for, you know, how the light can work in the spaces. And, you know, is it going to be like a lot of dark furniture? I'm going to need a lot of light. You know, is it, is it lighter? You know, are we going to have to do a lot of grip work to give it some shape? And, um, 
you know, we start we talk about practicals where you know, if we're building sets, which we didn't on, on this, but you know, that would be we talk about where the window's going, where the you know, where the uh, give me give me doors and closets and hallways for you mean where the sight lines, you know. Uh, how big is it? You know, are we gonna need a lot of camera movement in here. I won't say we didn't build any sets. We built a small set for for Tully, her her bedroom, bathroom, and the hallway right outside of it. Uh, oh, in the in the nursery. So, it was, but it was it's, for us. It was it was a pretty small set. Uh, and then the, the the we had a water tank that we that we built. I guess you'd call that a set. Um, f uh, but uh, yeah, the production designer. I mean, I talk. I spent a lot of time talking about color and texture. Essentially, the production designer, who was Anastasia Massaro on this film. She's fantastic. Great relationship. We'd never worked with her before, and she really. Uh, hit the ground running, fit right in with our little kind of team that has been going from film to film. And uh, it, was, it was great. I, there was, I mean, I, I never felt like I, I was lacking anywhere or um, everything she did really helped us out. Um, I do want to get, I want to circle back around to the AD thing, but since you mentioned the tank, there is this motif in the movie of water and being underwater. And I was wondering if you'd talk a little bit about uh, the thinking there and what your approach was to lighting those scenes. Water actually had a much bigger part in the original script. So what's in the final movie is, is remnants of, of, a, of more <laughs> of a water theme in the script. Um, Again, I'm trying to think about how to talk about it without um, saying too much. <laughs> um, there, there, there's, there's, it's, uh, it's an escape for her. You know, she, there's, there's things that um, some TV and some other things that she watches that puts these kind of thoughts to her head, and she has these kind of like dreams and these. Uh, experiences uh, in the water that are representative of certain things and um, I think that was just a uh, it was an interesting device that uh, Diablo came up with um, and I don't know specifically why it had to be water it was just it was just an interesting idea it was just a different take on it and that was actually really challenging on a small film of our size to do that because it was pretty involved. Uh, again, much more so than is revealed in the final cut of the film. There was a lot in the script, and then what was in the script we shot f almost all of, and then of what we shot small portions in the in the final movie. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, that there's a lot of challenges there, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, shooting in a water tank and vehicles and people and other things in the water and, and, and being restricted in the water. Um, claustrophobia, not being able to, the whole thing of being able to escape and being mm -hmm. confined. Yeah, it was challenging. Yeah. Uh, and so getting back to what you said about the production designer and the AD being uh, next to the director, your most important relationships. I'm curious, that's something that, you know, doesn't get talked about a lot is the relationship between the cinematographer and the AD. What, uh, what is it about, What I guess what kind of relationship with an AD is 
you know, best facilitates you getting, you know, you doing your best work? I mean, what do you, what's... I, it was just talking about schedule, you know, it, talking about times a day that you, you want to shoot things outside. You're shooting outside. It's your, I mean, schedule's everything. <clears throat> everything revolves around the sun or lack of it, where it is. Um, you know, if there is no sun, what's the, what's the, where are we going? You know, what are we doing? The schedule completely affects, you know, the look, how much time you're going to have for something. If, if your eyes aren't clicking, communicating, something that he thinks is, is, could be a very quick light. And you say, wait a minute, no, 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 this is huge. This is going to take us a long time. Oh, well, I didn't know that. I had no idea. I didn't, oh, we're doing all these moves. Nobody told me. So it's that communication that lets them know kind of what, because they work, you know, the 80s have a lot of experience working with a lot of different people, so they kind of average their experiences to try to figure out, you know, what is most likely, you know, going to happen when they're creating the schedule. But that's not always the case. And this AD that we've worked with has worked on, again, on all of Jason, actually every one of Jason's uh, Reitman's movies, including Thank You for Smoking, which I didn't do. And so they have a very good shorthand, and I do have a good shorthand with him, but that doesn't mean we don't communicate about every scene and how much time I, I would like and, you know, what we're going to do. And sometimes he's, he's off in the other direction. You know, maybe it's something he's given a lot of time to, and we're like, no, 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 that's a transitional beat. We're not going to, it's it's one shot. Good to know, you know, because now he can give us time for other things. You know, talking about, you know, maybe we should finish, if we finish this day early, we'd like to go to the next set and maybe do a rehearsal for the following day. Oh, okay, great, you know. So, and it all helps, helps me, uh, with the time uh, and attention I need for certain things. Because if I can get that, then, you know, we can increase our chance of success. Mm -hmm. uh, well, as we speak, you and Reitman have already made another movie together, The Front Runner. Um, is there anything you can say about that one to, to wrap up the conversation? We shot on film. Oh, yeah? Shot on 35-millimeter film. Mm -hmm. We wanted to shoot on 16. We, we did a, a fair bit of testing. We love 16, ultimately 135. I think everybody felt a little more comfortable with uh, 35, but the look of 16 was fantastic. The look of 35 was fantastic too. We ended up doing, um, uh, creating a an, an really nice looking film. I think I'm very excited about it. It's, uh, it takes place in, in the uh, mid 80s and uh, it's a political, um, political drama about Gary Hart, mm -hmm. played by Hugh Jackman. And, uh, it's uh, it's timely. What uh, what kind of factors go into the decision of whether or not to shoot digital or film? I mean, is it creative? Is it economic? Is it both? I mean, I know it changes I, from I don't, movie to movie, I, I, but yeah, it does. I don't know the economic. From what I understand from the producing side of it, I don't know if the economics really support digital or film anymore. I think it's kind of in even our producer said it's basically a wash. At the end of the day, by the time the film's delivered, showing in a theater. It's basically a wash because digital has created so many more posts costs now for these. And I think post houses have kind of inflated a lot of these costs and, and created a lot of additional steps that right. they've convinced, uh, you know, producers and studios they need to take when shooting digital. That digital has become very bloated <laughs> process in post, uh, which is fine. But um, you go back to film and realize how simple the process is now because digital has gotten so complicated. And it's just beautiful, you know, your dailies, um, by virtue of it being film, you got to spend a little extra time coloring the dailies, which means that your dailies are just going to have a little more attention paid to them, which means they look great, like fantastic. The best dailies I've ever had are the dailies I had on this last film we did, Front Runner. Um, 
but in terms of making the decision, when Jason first told me about the film, coincidentally, when we were shooting Tully, he said he thinks he has his next film, by the way, and he wants to, he really wants to shoot, shoot it on film. And I thought, great. I mean, I didn't even need to ask why. I mean, I did later did, but it didn't really matter to me. I was just, and it's not because I thought it was better or he thought it was better. We just felt like, you know, we've been doing the digital thing. Um, let's, let's see if, how it, how it makes, if we work differently, let's go back to what we used to do. And, and you know what, it, it, we did work a little bit differently on set. You know, we rehearsed, um, sometimes, <laughs> which you just don't do in digital, you know, this thing is like, okay, just we'll shoot the rehearsal. It's free. It's just, you know, data. Um, the actors really took notice, like, oh, wow, shoot film reloads. Oh, my God, it's great. It gives everybody a break, mm-hmm. you know, for a minute or two while you reload. And and there's this sense of, wow, it really, it's like they're taking this really seriously by saying, you know, that we're shooting on film. You know, I think everybody's kind of impressed by it because they know it, everybody has to be a little bit more on their game. The focus puller's got to be, you know, just a little bit better. And, you know, I, oh, my God, the DP's using a light meter, you know, and. <laughs> Everybody's just, it just seems like a little more care is being taken. But at the same time, there's all these extra steps, but we've moved, I think, faster than we've ever shot. Like, I think we had the shortest days on a movie we've ever had. We, we, our pacing was faster, and I, and I don't know, I really know why, and maybe it has nothing to do with the film. Maybe it's a coincidence. I like to think it has something to do with the film. Um, you know, you're not obsessed with, with the image because the image you're seeing is not this basically your final product HD image mm-hmm. on a monitor where you can, you know, judge everything on this you know, microscopic level. Film, it's like you look at film tap, you look at the, getting what you want from the actors, yeah, does it generally look framing good? Okay, great. And that's all you worry about. And then you just trust that you trust the operator is, you know, there's no water bottles in the shot and then there's, you know, it's in focus and everybody feels good and, and then you, you move on. And it, and it just, it looks fantastic. And, you know, I hope I get to do another movie on film soon and not too long and you know fortunately it's it looks like it's going to stay around for a while so but it's it's good because it's just another tool and i really don't think it's better or worse mm-hmm. it's just it's just another it's another flavor of you know I mean, everybody's coming out with you're constantly coming out with you know no digital cameras right to try to create something new um so you know there's nothing wrong with you know shooting on film i think it's just maybe the people are feeling that it's unfamiliar now and there's they're intimidated by it but once you go back and do it and you start remembering how easy it truly is it's just basically just boils down a couple some logistics but you know i don't know well i, I can't wait to see it i mean i thought uh tolly was fantastic so i'm looking forward to wherever yeah you it's guys very are. different than tolly uh-huh. it's gonna be two, <laughs> two two very different films back to back for us and and so that was kind of and shooting it to those two films back to back was um interesting it was it was quite a a shift in in gears and tone Mm -hmm. but um pleasantly you know both were great and had their individual merits well i want to thank you for taking the time to come here and talk about me with the movie (laughs) or talk talk with me about the movie well anyway thanks so much for coming and talking with me about the film thank Uh, you this has been jim hempill and eric steelberg talking about tully for the american cinematographer podcast This has been the American Cinematographer Podcast. Thanks for listening. You can find more podcasts, blogs, and exclusive ASC content 
by logging onto theasc.com. This podcast has been brought to you by the American Society of Cinematographers, a nonprofit organization dedicated to promoting the art and craft of cinematography.